0: pleasure to have each and every one of you with us this morning. I ask you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark this morning. The Gospel of Mark. Now you say, wait a minute, I thought we were in the book of Daniel. We are in the book of Daniel, but we're going to take a halftime huddle. We're halfway through uh, the book of Daniel, and we need to prep ourselves uh, for the weeks to come. And because what we've got here is a change in genre of Scripture that doesn't often happen right in the middle of a book of the Bible. For the last six chapters, we have been studying the historical narrative of Daniel's life. Daniel, a real person, uh, was enslaved by the empire of Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. He was taken into captivity with all the other Israelite people of the day, and they were taught a lot of new things. They had to figure out how to live in a pagan world where Jesus, or where God, their Savior, was not elevated or held in high esteem, and they had to know how to live in those days. And what great lessons we've learned in that, in watching them be faithful. As Josh said, establishing themselves on the firm foundation of who God is, knowing that God wouldn't let them down, and He hasn't, and He won't with us. But as we get into Daniel chapter 7, we move from historical narrative to apocalyptic literature. What we're going to see in these upcoming chapters in the book of Daniel is Daniel's going to have a series of visions and dreams. And his dreams and visions are going to be so amazing and breathtaking and at times kind of scary that God is going to reveal, interpret these dreams, and what we know of them is that they are going to have a fulfillment in the future. And that means as we look at that genre of Scripture, we have to do things a little differently. And to do so, we've got to understand where we're at and how we go about speaking about things. Because what Daniel's going to talk about in our belief and estimation is he's talking about what we call the end of days, the apocalypse, thus apocalyptic writing, the thing that movies are made of. Growing up as a teenager, there was a song by the group REM that they sang regarding the end of the world. They said it was the end of the world as we know it, and then the refrain was, I feel fine. How do you feel this morning about the end of the world? How confident are you in God's promises and His words regarding it? What do you know about it that you can stand firm on that foundation? Well, just like that song, in fact, just by the way, uh, REM fans out there, who knows that song? Show of hands, okay? The reason why I ask is, you know that the first couple words we all know, right? Right? then he takes off sprinting through the lyrics and we just start making stuff up in fact in a couple different movies that I have seen that song comes on the radio and the people in the car just start mumbling things because they don't know exactly what he's saying it's happening so quickly that they're unable to utter the words can I just tell you that that's not true just in that song that's true in how we approach end times For some of us, we know a couple important words, and then we just make stuff up as we go. We know things like tribulation, antichrist, rapture, millennium, but beyond that, we really don't know how to place those things. We don't know where exactly they go. We don't even maybe know where they come from in the Scripture. We were taught some words. We were taught some theologies. And we've grabbed a hold of the theology of our favorite Bible teachers or, or maybe the, the uh, theology or foundation that we received from mom or dad, and we've run with it. This morning what I wanna do is I want to make sure that we establish ourselves well. We build a firm foundation on where we're going so the next chapters of the book of Daniel are done in a way that glorifies and honors God this morning. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to talk about eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the last days, of the last things. I want you to know that since Jesus' ascension, Christians everywhere have been waiting for his coming. They've been waiting for him to return. And it's not just something that churches and Christians believe in, But we see it in our world today You go uh, out grocery shopping And you'll see the tabloid magazines That will say this This uh, says end times have begun Riots as gas prices top six dollars Trout and plague hit U.S. Iran launches nuclear war And much more proof that last days are here That was done, you can't see it But June 11, 2007 We're still here gas prices never made it to six dollars we haven't had any massive droughts or plagues hit the u.s and iran still does not have a nuclear weapon but the world loves to speculate you turn on the history channel you'll see nostradamus says this or that we love to speculate about the future but churches do this as well In 2011, the most listened to radio Bible teacher on more stations than anyone else here in America predicted on May 21st, 2011, that Jesus was going to come back. Tens of thousands of his listeners sold all their possessions, bought RVs, and went on an evangelistic journey to uh, tell everybody that Jesus was coming back. The only remarkable thing that happened on May 11, 2011 is the Cubs beat the Red Sox. (laughs) Jesus didn't come. And would you believe it, the audacity of this guy? God bless him, My, my goodness. He was back on the radio on May 12th. And people were still listening. And even to the very end, he was one of the most listened to radio Bible teachers around. We love to talk about these things. We love to try to figure these things out. Well, when I was much younger, this isn't just a recent phenomenon uh, here in the 21st century. When I was younger in 1988, a book was written, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988. Four million copies were sold. 88 came and went, and would you believe it? The author wrote another book In 1989 89 reasons why the rapture is happening in 1989 now it didn't sell as many thank goodness but we love to speculate about when jesus is going to come and when we start reading uh, the prophecies in the book of daniel many of us start approaching it starting to think through and trying to figure out could we be living in this last generation could we in fact Be the one generation that will see the coming of Jesus. And with that speculation comes a lot of problems. You see, thousands of books have been written on this subject. Tens of thousands of sermons have been preached about this. And we've had failed predictions upon failed predictions. But listen, nobody knows when the return of Christ is going to happen. Jesus said, no one knows the hour or the day but his heavenly Father. And so as we approach this, we need to recognize, we need to be pretty charitable in this. And I know this morning, and this is going to be feel more like a college theology class, than it is a Sunday morning sermon, but it's altogether necessary that we prepare our people and we knew that we were going to need to because we've already heard reports in our small groups. The, the, I think it's 75 small groups we have across the campuses that there's already some of the stuff we're going to talk about already beginning. We're like week one, we're already jumping into it. And we've already got uh, some things that we've got to talk about. But as I talk to a group of this size, and as I did in the other two services, I want to introduce you to some friends. Now, small groups, you were acquainted with these friends during your small group study this last week, and it's how we approach end times in different ways. Let me introduce some of them to you. First of all, there's clueless Chloe, and Chloe is ever-present and curious. She seeks to understand, but she doesn't have a strong, strong grasp on this topic, She's like, I've heard about the apocalypse. I've heard of the end of days. I've seen movies about that. But you're telling me the Bible actually believes that? You're telling me that Jesus is, in fact, going to come back and come back to earth? That's going to happen? And you're unaware of it. Maybe you've come in and you've enjoyed this first part of Daniel. Like, I get it. I understand it. Those are real life, real stories. But now you're going to start talking about winged beasts and animals. And what are we to make of all of that? You might be clueless here, and that's okay We're so glad to have you Number two, it's who cares, Wilma Some of you are like, I really don't care Life is going really, really well for me Work is great, the kids are great Marriage is great, money's great Who cares, this is a great ride I'm enjoying myself You know, and, And to be honest with you, all the prophecies I don't really know what to make of that I can't make any sense of it So I really don't care Then there's a couple other individuals. There's disbelieving Carla, and that's kind of like the person prior, and that is they're just growing tired of of, of waiting. You read all of the papers, all of the fighting going on in our country, and you're like, really, is Jesus ever going to come? I don't think so. It's been 2,000 years, and we're in the same place. Nothing's changed, and some of you have given up hope. Others are scared scarlet. You're deeply devoted. You love Jesus, but you're scared. And you're going to hear things like Antichrist and tribulation and wars and famines and pestilence and, and all of these horrific things that the Bible's going to talk about. These are scary chapters in the Bible, and you're going to be filled with anxiety and fear. And listen, that's not why God intended to write these things. God shows you all, things, all these things, and then he says, I'm sovereign over every one of them. I'm in control And I have you in the palm of my hand You do not need to fear you do, Your hearts do not need to be dismayed I am with you always Even to the very end of the age Including the end times There's scared scarlet Then there's newspaper Ned oh, We had some newspaper Neds in small groups this week Gosh I love you guys You're awesome Okay, You come in and you look at Bible prophecy And you, you see national treasure movies You're like, okay, I got the Bible, and written in the Bible is a secret code that's gonna tell me when Jesus comes back. And I gotta look at numbers, and I gotta look at times, and I gotta look at different things, and I can discern, and I'm listening to people who can discern when the coming of Jesus is going to be. And I'm gonna tell you what the Antichrist looks like, who he is, and what he's all about, and usually he's a part of the opposing political party. Now, the best way to see this happened in 2016. In 2016, a whole bunch of preachers, and especially uh, a radio preacher from our area, was on a kick that he preached a whole series of sermons, and he said, we are in the last days. I don't mean the 2,000 last days. I mean, like, we're in it. It's happening. It's, it's going to happen really, really soon. And here's why. The book of Revelation. This was his whole establishment. And he wasn't the only one. He said the book of Revelation talks a lot about trumpets, trumpets. And I'm like, where is he going? And we have just elected a president named Trump. I'm like, okay, Trump, trumpets. And then he said, but not just the president, a vice president with the last name Pence. Trump trumpence. Let's close in prayer. Jesus is coming. Holy moly. Right? I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's hilarious. Okay? So, so you, and, and again, we already know you showed up to small groups. You came up with your TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube videos. You're ready to show it. Now, you've got a cousin that comes with you in your discussions, and that's political poly. You follow Ned's lead, and you're like, we want to figure this out. You live and die for end times. You live and die. This is the most important thing, and, and you've been begging Pastor Tim for years. we got to preach about end times, and you're like, you're a coward, Vidal. Teach Revelation. You're dealing with Daniel. Come on, end times now and forevermore. Well, political poly has got to be really careful because political poly makes decisions about their politics, about their worldview, about countries that you've got to be really, really careful with. Let me give you an example. Last fall, a war broke out between Palestinians and and, and the nation of Israel. And in that, a lot of Christians went to the defense of Israel, and they did so because of their doctrine. And their doctrine goes like this. Israel now, as it was in the Old Testament, is God's people. And because of that, whatever the nation of Israel does, whether it's humane or not, it doesn't matter. They get to do it because they're God's people. So if they want to carpet bomb Hamas, if they want to carpet bomb Gaza, if they want to destroy everything in their wake, they're able to do it because they're no different. Modern-day Israel is no different than Joshua and the people of Israel walking around the walls of Jericho. That they have got a mandate to do whatever they want at all costs. Now, let me just say this, and some will maybe disagree with me, modern day Israel is in a state of rebellion against God. They do not love Jesus. They do not love God. The Bible says they're in rejection. They're rejecting God. And we need to be careful that we're not backing a pagan leadership because of faulty understandings of how to understand our end times. And some of us need to be careful with that now you can have your politics you can have reasons why you believe israel should be victorious or why the palestinians should be victorious my hope and prayer is that all of us can say that we wish the bloodshed would end and there could be peace and tranquility in all parts of the world including there but we need to be careful that we don't allow our doctrine to lead us to places that i don't think the bible says We need to know how to interpret certain passages of Scripture. And so what I want to get us to today is I want us to be like Carl. Carl is a guy who's anchored in Scripture. Carl recognizes the danger of fixating on the future. He emphasizes what the Bible says over and over again. And that is the importance of living faithfully in the present believing that a deepened relationship with jesus outweighs the obsession with foreseeing future events what carl does is carl doesn't forget the first part of daniel when he gets into the second part of daniel he keeps that in mind so are we going to study some really amazing passages of scripture in the weeks to come we are are at times they going to scare us? They will. At times are they going to befuddle us? They will. At times we're going to sit there and just praise God. Hopefully we're doing that all the time. But we're just going to be in awe of what God is going to do. But in the end, what God says is leave the future to me. And you be faithful. And you stay true to me. So to do that... Let's look at five points, okay? Five points, I'll try to move through them as quickly as possible. But five points that I want us to know and understand moving forward. The first one is is we need to recognize some things. First of all, the different approaches to various doctrines, okay? So as we deal with the doctrine of end times, we have to ask the question, do we deal with all doctrines the same way? And the answer is no. We do not hold all things at the same level. So let me give you, you're gonna write a lot down. So have a pen, you're gonna write these things down. It's gonna be important for you. I want you to study them and I want you to make sure what I'm saying is true. First thing that you're gonna do is you're gonna have doctrines that you die for. Doctrines that you die for. As Christians, there are certain beliefs that we will go to our graves for. Now those should be few and far between because if not, we're dying for a lot of things. But one of the things that we would die for is that Jesus is God, that he's the savior, that he's the Lord. And let's face it, if we're not willing to die for that, we don't have much hope in anything. And when it comes to eschatology, we have to believe that Jesus is coming back. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming soon. He said to his disciples in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, and when I'm done preparing that place for you, I'll come back to take you to be with me forever. If that's not true, then Jesus is a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, the dominoes start to fall, then he's not God, he can't save us, and we are without hope. And so there are certain things of end times we have to die for, Jesus is coming back. Catholics, Orthodox, and Protestants, of which we're a part of, all affirm, all believe that Jesus Christ will in fact come one day for his people. It's something we need to be willing to die for. Number two, there are doctrines that we Divide over. Divide over. These are things that we may see other Christians and say, you know what, we agree on a lot, but there are things that just make it hard for us to fellowship together often and worship together, probably hard for us to do church together. An example of this, in 1517, Martin Luther looked at Roman Catholicism, of which he was a part of, and the issue that he really started to say maybe we need to divide is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Because in his church at the time, uh, Roman Catholicism said, to get to heaven, you need God to do a little, and you need to do a little, and between you and God, you'll get to heaven. So it was justification by works. Your good works will save you. Martin Luther in 1517 reads the Bible, he says, I don't see that. I don't see that. And he divides. And the Protestant Reformation takes hold. And we're a a grandchild of that Reformation. And we're not Roman Catholics. We divide. We we, uh, find ourselves in a different church. We're Protestants. We're protesters to Catholicism in that way. There are doctrines we divide over. There are doctrines that we discuss. This is where we're going to land for the next Eight or nine weeks. These are things where Christians disagree. And I'm going to list you a whole bunch of modern day Bible teachers who disagree on how to approach the book of Daniel. They are guys and men and women who I've got their books, they are men who I listen to their preaching, they are people that I look up to, and they all disagree on how Pastor Tim and the campus pastors should interpret the last half of the book of Daniel. And I need to be fair to that because these are individuals that I respect greatly and they disagree. Much of your end times should be under the folder of discussable. So if you go into discussion, you start dividing over end times doctrine, I think personal opinion I think you're probably taking yourself too seriously. You're taking a particular Bible teacher too seriously. You're taking a certain portion of Scripture over the weight of other Scriptures too seriously. There's one final one, and that is there are doctrines we dump. Titus 3 9 tells, Paul tells Titus, stay away from foolish controversies and endless genealogies about the law. They are unprofitable, and they are worthless. When anybody starts defining things like who the Antichrist is, who the false prophet of Revelation is, who Babylon is, when the tribulation will come, when the rapture will take place, if they do that with giving a specific time and date... Dump it. It's not profitable. And everybody else who's done it up to this point has been wrong. So we've got these doctrines we've got to figure out. Number two, we need to look at the diversity of opinions amongst Christians. The diversity of opinions amongst Christians. Within the debatable and discussable beliefs of eschatology as we approach the book of daniel we can approach it four different ways there's going to be a slide that's going to come up behind me that's going to talk about the last three views and we'll talk about those in a moment but the first view of approaching daniel is bible teachers will look at the last part of daniel and they will hold to what is called and you learned about this in your small group the idealist interpretation And that is to take the last portions of Daniel and see Daniel 7 through 12 as kind of like Aesop's fables. These are stories, figurative, metaphorical stories that teach a broader theme. And so Daniel's not actually talking about events in the future. What he's talking about is, hey, know a couple things. There's going to be kingdoms, chaos, and the sovereignty of God. That's the theme. And and just so you know, we're going to tell you some stories. We're going to bring in some crazy-looking animals to help you understand those themes. Stay faithful, stay close to God, and God is one day coming back. Now, this is a minority view. Not many people believe it, but there were two individuals that made it pretty uh, popular at times, and that was Augustine, a a very well-known church father in the 4th century, and Karl Barth, um, a theologian from about 100 years ago. And so these individuals um, are those that hold to that. We don't hold to that, and not many do in this day. Uh, The second view is what we have represented at the um, middle section, and that's the preterist view. It's also called postmillennialism. And the preterist view is the belief that what Daniel's gonna talk about is in fact in the future for Daniel, but in the past for us. So you're gonna read Daniel's chapter seven through 12, and it's gonna chronicle all these future events, future tribulations that are gonna happen, and they are all gonna be fulfilled by the end of the first century. He's gonna prophesy about the coming of Jesus, and then he's gonna prophesy about this time after the Son of Man comes, the Messiah comes, there's gonna be such a turbulent time where tribulation is gonna take place, and the preterist view, or the post-millennialist view, says that event happened in AD 70. So you see it, it's a green box there in the middle uh, line there, and that's Jerusalem being destroyed. About 40 years after Jesus ascended to heaven, There continues to be all kinds of struggle between the Jewish people and the Roman Empire. Rome finally grows tired, and you see some of that happening with Pontius Pilate and and Herod and the chief priests, all of those politics that are taking place, where Rome finally gets tired of all of Jerusalem's revolting, all of their issues and struggles. They send in their famed general who comes in and absolutely decimates Jerusalem. And we'll see Jesus prophesies about this, where he says Jerusalem will not have one stone on top of another. And they believe that all of Daniel is lived out between Daniel writing and AD 70. That's that view. And so now what we have is we're just living kind of in the afterglow of all of that. And in fact, what's going to happen is things are going to continue to get better and better until Jesus comes back. Then there is another position which is the most popular in historic Christianity. That's the historist position or the view that's at the bottom, what is called amillennialism. And the historist position, uh, by the way, uh, the preterist view, uh, the most well-known Bible scholar of our day who recently just passed away, R.C. Sproul, if you've heard of him, he holds the preterist view. Um, Then the historist and amillennial position, it holds to... That all that has been communicated in the book of Daniel at the end of the book of Daniel will in fact happen over the many centuries between Christ's ascension and Christ's second coming so we have been living in this age where tribulation is going to happen In essence, depending on where you live, you'll have good years and bad years. You'll have good decades and bad decades. You'll have good centuries and bad centuries. To put it into perspective, in the 20th century, that is the last century, more people died in warfare than all other centuries combined. Does that tell you something? That's a bad century. They talk about Antichrist. And there'll be a lot of different antichrists. Nero was an antichrist in the Roman Empire. Uh, individuals like it, even in modern day, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, all of these different dictators show us what the antichrists are like. But there's not one particular But in fact, what's gonna happen is, is Christianity's gonna grow, it's gonna prosper, things are gonna get better, and then Jesus Christ is going to come back. That's not the position we're gonna take either. That leads us with one final position, not idealist, not uh, preterist, not historist, but a futurist position. We are going to hold that what we're gonna see in scripture is future to Daniel, and future to us. Future to Daniel, he's going to prophesy of the coming of Jesus. Future to us is that much of what he's going to write still hasn't happened yet. Now in that position, which is the top position, that position has two other positions. You're getting confused even more now. On the top line of that top row, you see these little boxes that are there. Uh, Where we're living, just to help you, where we're living is in the church age, okay? I don't know where we're at, we could be right here, 2,000 years, we could be here, I don't know. But, the top line, you can't see it, that is what is called dispensational premillennialism. Now, most of you, if you grew up in a Bible church, you probably were dispensational. I was dispensational growing up, okay? Uh, This church has a history of dispensationalism dispensationalism believes in what is called a pre-trib rapture okay and there's offshoots of of that but the reason why you might affirm so if you hold to if that word resonates with you okay pre-trib rapture now pastor Tim's talking about me now I know where I'm at you're a dispensationalist you didn't know it you don't know how to spell it but that's who you are okay and the reason why is because a dispensationalist separates Israel and the church. That when you read the Bible, you've got to figure out where is God talking, whether in the Old Testament or New Testament, to ethnic Israel, and where is he talking about the church. So a dispensationalist is going to read the book of Daniel and say, okay, that thing is for Israel, and then a couple chapters later, oh, that's for the church. You've got to be able to decipher who you're gonna ascribe certain scriptures to. Now, this position is held by lots of contemporary people. In fact, uh, if you read the Left Behind books, this is Left Behind. If you sit under the teaching of David Jeremiah, Charles Stanley, Tony Evans, Chuck Swindoll, guys that I think very highly of, then you're listening to dispensational theology. But a part of that futurist belief is also one that's underneath it, that is what we call historic premillennialism that's going to be the position of the church so flip the slide so we can see the third point coming up there so they follow along what's the direction we're going to take as a church flip it back our tech team's doing a phenomenal job today keeping up with pastor tim and so we're going to be in the top row how we're going to teach the book of Daniel is that Daniel does in fact for us have a futuristic interpretation there are things Daniel's going to talk about that are still in the future we believe the tribulation we believe that there's an antichrist coming we believe that uh, uh, that Christians are going to endure some hard times in the days to come all in the future the difference is, is we're not going to make a hard and steadfast line on Israel and the church we believe because of Romans chapter 9 10 and 11 that the church and Israel in many ways have become one that they've been grafted in together to be one people of God and the reason why we're going to do that it's going to make studying the bible a whole lot easier So if you've been a part of a dispensational church, when the book of Daniel comes up, we'll be setting up, and and you know this, many of you have seen it, the most craziest, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but just a lot of charts. Because there's a lot of moving parts in dispensational theology. What we're gonna do is we're gonna affirm this historic premillennial position. This position is called historic because the earliest of the church fathers seemingly affirmed it. Individuals like John Piper, uh, Albert Moeller, um, James Montgomery Boyce, Charles Spurgeon of uh, some years back, of course, Alistair Begg, D.A. Carson, Mark Dever, um, all affirm this. Now, let me say this, and I'm trying to slow down to make sure I communicate all that I need to. While there's agreement that our teaching position is this, As a church, we have members that are going to be all over the place. And in our doctrinal statement, we do not hold a hard and fast line of how you have to interpret it. But the campus pastors know and recognize, your elders know and recognize that if we're going to teach us across six physical campuses with six different Bible teachers at each campus, we got to have a position that we agree on and we affirm, and this is the position that we affirm. This is the position that we hold to. Is it the right and only position? We don't know. But the reason why we affirm it is for a couple reasons. So as we approach this, understand why and how we're going to approach it. First of all, the view you're going to hear from us is a view that we will say and we'll teach with conviction, but we will hold it with a charitable posture. We're not going to beat up our friends. We're not going to demonize and demagogue I did my studying at Moody Bible Institute. Moody Bible Institute doesn't affirm historic premillennialism; they're more dispensational. And I love that place, and I'm thankful for that place. One of our own pastors and elders, Cisco Cotto, teaches at that place. These are our friends. We affirm these things. We appreciate them. We're thankful for their hard work and evangelism. We're going to hold this charitably. Remember that small groups. When people disagree, remember that. We're gonna be charitable. Number two, we teach this certain position because it's an in- consistent interpretation. In a moment, we're gonna open up Mark 13. And you're going to see how just by reading We don't have to come up with all these maps. We don't come up with all these charts and all these graphs. We can just read the Bible and see what Jesus is saying about end times, and it will seemingly make some real sense. We want it to be consistent. We don't want to make it harder because we've got to remember we're not the only ones who read these things, but the ancient world was reading it. What did they know and understand about it? And by the way, for the first 1,850 years, end times was not a big deal to Christians. They knew Jesus was coming, and that was enough. They were busy evangelizing the world, and we want to be consistent in that. Number three, we're going to teach this because we believe it is the best contingency plan. Let me explain. Today is the day we talk about airplanes, and I hope Josh isn't listening. So tomorrow I'm I'm heading down to Dallas. You can pray for Pastor Keith and myself. We're heading to Dallas. We're gonna be doing some teaching to some uh, churches and we're looking forward to it. We gotta get on a plane. And we're gonna get on the plane. And the pilot will be getting things ready and a steward or stewardess is going to get on the microphone and they're going to say, hey, uh, it's 81 degrees and sunny in Dallas and we're looking for a safe and and bumpy-less flight, smooth flights. Uh, But here's a couple things we want to remind you of. When we're flying, if one of the wings falls off the plane, sorry, Josh. if, If one of the, you know, something goes wrong, don't forget you're, your seat turns into a flotation device or maybe the air cabin pressure leaves we want you to know masks are gonna fall from the ceiling we want you to put those on and help one another do that that will allow you to breathe now is the steward and stewardess are they saying yep this is the flight we're going down <clears throat> no they have every intention on getting us to the location we're going to. And let's face it, we always, almost always do, right? But they want us to be prepared for whatever comes. So I know I'm speaking primarily to dispensationalists, whether you know it or not. And you're sitting there saying, Tim, the Bible teaches a pre-trib rapture, and why do we need to worry about these things? Because I believe before any of this stuff happens, we're going to heaven. Jesus is coming, he's going to rapture us, and we're going to go to heaven. And here's the thing, if you're right and I'm wrong, I'm high fiving you on the way up. I'll I'll own that in a heartbeat. But let me ask you, what if you're wrong? And what if I preach that, hey, guys, the book of Daniel doesn't really involve us because we're going to be raptured to heaven, and I'm wrong, and we start going through some turbulent times, and you're like, wait a minute, weren't we supposed to be gone by now? Well, maybe we missed it. And what I want to do and what we want to do as campus pastors is make sure that we have gone through all contingencies and say, in case there isn't a pre-trib rapture, of which historic premillennialism believes in a post-trib rapture, that we go through it, and you'll read it here in Mark 13, we want you to be ready. We love you too much to pin your hopes on something that is a bit fuzzy in Scripture, and we want to affirm the things that the Bible says, and the Bible says, live upright and holy lives until he comes. Be ready for it. And so, We need to get the description. I'm going to move quickly here, all right? We're almost done. I want you to turn to Mark 13. If you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, QR code that thing. It'll take you right to Mark 13. I want you to see this, and I'll give you a moment to get there. In Mark 13, we have the shortest, most precise and concise speaking of the end times by Jesus. If anybody knows about the end times, it's Jesus, okay? And his disciples ask him about end times and he says in the chapter of Mark 13, and he speaks about this again in uh, Matthew 24 and 25, about what the end times are going to be like. On the screens is an outline. I want you to write these down. And you're going to get an outline of what the events are going to happen, how the Scripture unfolds. I want you to see just the consistency. We see it right before our eyes. We don't have to make up any kinds of big uh, charts and bar graphs or anything. We can see it unfold. So we're at Mark 13, everyone. We're going to first see in verses 1 and 2 the past events of the first century. Here we go. And as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, "'Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings.'" And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is foretelling the destruction of Israel and the destruction of the temple in the first century. We know that. He's prophesying about something that's going to happen 40 years from when he said it. Then we see the present ebb and flow of human history. And he sat down on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will those things, what are those things? When will the destruction happen? When are these end days going to to take place? And Jesus began to teach them. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Remember that. He just prophesied that the uh, city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And he says, that's not the end. When there's wars and rumors of wars, don't be surprised. It's not the end. He goes on. For nations will rise against nations, and kingdoms against kingdoms, There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So for 20 centuries, we've seen this happen. And maybe it's another 20 centuries of this. Wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, famines, earthquakes. He says these are just the beginning of the end. It's just the beginning. Then we have, well, what are we going to experience during that time? What's the Christian's part in all of it? Verse 9, but be on guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must be first proclaimed to all the nations. Underline that. That hasn't happened yet. All the nations of the world haven't had the gospel preached to it. That's why we give money to worldwide missions, because the four corners of the world haven't heard the gospel. It's hard to believe, but there are places, as in Amdu in New Guinea, where the Hattons are proclaiming to an unreached people group about Jesus. And so this is still in the future. He goes on, and he says, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever you are give, given you in that hour, for it is not you who speaks but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You're like, well, that's not happening here in America, but it's happening in other places. And it's happened throughout time. That you stand for Christ, your own family will turn you in. Then someone shows up. Verse 14. This is the Antichrist but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be let the reader understand why does the reader need to understand this jesus says because he's using a symbol abomination of desolation now notice what he says where he it's a person there's a person coming He will be the antichrist. He'll be antithetical to all that Christ is, and he will seek to destroy the people of God. He will prop himself up as a worldwide leader, as a savior, as a messiah, and he will speak unspeakable things, that he is the one, and the world will believe him. And so we've got this personification of evil. And for seven years, this guy will rule and reign it will seem as if he is the answer that the world's been looking for. Now, notice, then during that time, the visibility of the Antichrist ushers in a time of great emergency. Let the one who is, well, it says, first of all, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down. Not enter his house to take anything out and let the one who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. Why? It's an emergency. You're not packing, you're running. And alas, the women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, Jesus is feeling sorry for the women of the day who have to care for young children because it's going to be a time of great turbulence. Pray that it doesn't happen in winter. Why? Because there's a good chance we won't have homes that will live in places that we never thought we would live in. Now notice, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been seen from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. There's a future tribulation that is going to come. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect... For the sake of the Christians. Wait a minute, I thought we were raptured before the tribulation. It seems as if Jesus says we're going to go through it. For the sake of us, whom He chose, He will shorten the days. And if anyone says, You look, here is the Christ, or look, there He is, do not believe it, for false Christ or false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead people astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you these things beforehand. And then we have, notice, in those days, after the tribulation, we have a promised expectation. What is it? After the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And then, then, after the tribulation, we will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven listen to me church at the end of all this is the greatest thing we will ever experience and so Jesus gives this description we don't have to sit there and make a lot of fuss about it it's right there in black and white and in red in some of your Bibles and what does it lead to? the final thing what's God's design for all of this? What am I hoping we'll accomplish in the book of Daniel? You don't have to write these down, we'll talk about them. But to provide insight into the future. The apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians, I do not want you to be uninformed. So we're gonna inform you about what the future holds. Number two, to promote hope amidst grief and trouble. These days will be difficult. But Paul says, comfort each other with these words. That eschatology should comfort you, not bring you anxiety. It should point to God's sovereignty. God is in control. God is in charge. Listen, he said, take heart. I told you these things already. It should put eternity in our hearts. Some of us aren't even thinking about eternity. We're thinking about tomorrow. We're thinking about how good life is. But there's a day coming when all of this will be burnt. There's a day coming when it'll be too late for people to come to know Jesus, which means that the latter part of Daniel should produce in us a heart of evangelism. If your eschatology is not pushing you to proclaim the good news of Jesus, you don't have a good theology and a good eschatology. And so we need to trust God. We need to be on the move. We need to tell people about Jesus. And that's where we're going to go in the days to come in the book of Daniel. It's going to be fun. It's going to be mysterious. It's going to be a whole lot of hard text. But I'm going to do my best job in leading us through these waters. And hopefully God will achieve great glory as a result. Amen.